Welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. Uh, we got a little a little off-season episode here. Things happened in the off-season. Breaking news. Uh, breaking, breaking news. Breaking news broke. Breaking news. We're going to fix it. Uh, with me, as always, Daniel O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm doing great. I'm uh, off to Ireland tomorrow. Ooh, which fun. Is, uh, which is a country that I'm from that I cannot think of anything that connects it to Formula One, except Eddie Irvine uh, and Eddie that, Jordan and Eddie Jordan. That's it. Just a pack of Eddies. And I'm pretty sure one of those is from the north, but we'll take it. Okay. And uh, Rob Zachney, how are you, Rob? Not too bad. Uh, excited to be talking and thinking about, well, I'm always thinking about F1, but finally <laughs> excited to have an outlet for all these uh, spicy off-season takes. Exactly. Yes. We're, just, we're all just screaming at our friends and families about this, and they just return blank stares at us, as perhaps <laughs> most of our listeners have the same problem, which is why we're all part of this this sort of communal support group we call Shift F1. <laughs> uh, well, let's uh, jump right into uh, our our deep-seated need <laughs> to talk. I think this is this is the one story uh, that that kicked off our... Uh, specific need to do a, a news episode, and that is the removal of Maurizio Arrivabene as the team boss of Ferrari. He is out, uh, and technical director for Ferrari, Mattia Benotto, is in. So, I mean, I personally kind of liked Arrivabene. What little I heard from him, he seemed to be a very straightforward talker but in the past few years i had not heard from him almost at all so i mean most of my and i think all of our talk about the team of ferrari was just down to a lot of wild speculation because they weren't very good at talking to the press at all well so this is, I mean, right there, like, we're starting to get into what is the deal with Arriva Bene. I also kind of liked Arriva Bene, and in the press uh, interviews I'd seen with him, he actually came across, to me at least, as slightly soft-spoken, uh, you know, a little uncomfortable with the press. But one of the reps on him was that he just had a bad relationship uh, with the press. And... I think, like, already, this is a story that is all about Ferrari court politics, a team that has always had really Byzantine uh, court politics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is interesting to me the degree to which this guy was disliked in the press, and that dislike is palpable in a lot of the coverage of how this has all shaken out. But then there is also an undeniable element here of, there's some disagreement as to, is this a surprise move or not? According to a lot of coverage, this was uh, Sergio uh, Mar- Marcione's yeah. uh, basic blueprint for what was going to happen with Ferrari anyway, that uh, Arriva Bene was always basically a caretaker uh, team principal, and uh, Marcione was going to come in and lead the team starting this year and was effectively already leading the team uh, in addition to his duties with Fiat Chrysler. The problem being that, uh, and we talked about this last year, uh, Marchi only passed away last year uh, in the summer rather unexpectedly. Uh, he, he did have cancer, uh, but he was undergoing treatment for it and he died uh, from complications of a surgery. 
And so that plan was kind of thrown into chaos. And one of the arguments for why did Ferrari fall off a cliff starting around midseason last year is if the argument is that Marcione was basically running the team from behind the scenes uh, throughout the year and Arrivabene was just kind of his front man, uh, it does kind of make sense that as things took a turn uh, with, with Marcione and his condition got more serious and then he passed away, uh, that that would then explain why everything seemed to go to hell in a handbasket with the development of the 2018 Ferrari program. Um, so there's there's the argument that Marcioni always wanted to take over. A River Benny was going to be moved aside no matter what. And now the only thing that's different is the succession is a little more muddled. But that is a really... There's a lot of people who would like to say this was the plan all along. There's nothing dramatic happening here. But then there also does seem to be the sense that Rivibene's sponsor is gone. And uh, he's going to be sort of pointed at as the fall guy for what went wrong last year. And the new Fiat Chrysler chairman, uh, John Elkin, uh, made the decision. Because it was basically, if uh, Bonotto did not get the job to run Ferrari... He was going to walk to go to other teams, and Ferrari could not mm. survive that on a program level. Yeah, I mean, he, he specifically, uh, Benotto, has been with the team since 1995. So I think, and he's the technical director. So ripping him out of that team would just, yeah, that would, that would add uh, uh, injury to injury, I think. Yeah, it always. I feel like that job as well is is such a sort of a thankless position. Um, Ferrari are. I feel like you know we were talking. We've talked before about you know the sort of the Williams setup and how they're set up and and the sort of I don't know like shared vision that they sort of have. Ferrari has always struck. Um, I think probably most F one fans as sort of a team that's run it's like a giant like it's it's run by a giant corporation behind it and they have such a massive stake in the f1 team it's not just like something they have on the side you know it's not like red bull is like sort of somewhat independent from its corporate overlords for this is like you know this is the horse on the front of the car so yeah. like there's always been this sort of idea that the the team principal role is is sort of a thankless position in that like it, when you win it's sort of the way things are supposed to be and you're keeping everyone satisfied but if you're losing essentially regardless of whatever puppetry is going on in the background you're always going to be um the one sort of uh um uh, uh, left with the blame and, and like in some ways when i read the news it made complete sense it was like you could see all the shifting going on it you know he, he did feel like he was sort of a, a you know a mid-tier character in a political uh, battle that was going on that you could sort of get whiffs of here and there um i wonder if you know there's a big couple of years coming up for ferrari in relation to all the renegotiations that are going to happen um and obviously i'm not sure if that plays into it at all whether or not his like frosty relationship with the media meant that he also had like because those folks are involved in those negotiation stuff as well. Um, so I'm wondering if, if that had anything to do with it as well, that they wanted a stronger hand in there, somebody who was better at that type of communication to sort of um, put Ferrari's best foot forward because they stand to lose quite a lot of money um, when that happens, which I think, Rob, is that 2020? Uh, All that yes, Liberty the, stuff? The, agreements, the agreements expire uh, at the end of 2020. Uh, okay, so basically so that's, like New Year's Eve 2020, all the agreements lapse. Uh, but things are hitting the fan much faster than that because right. 
one of the other major things that's unsettled are technical regulations. And mm. in F1's own like bylaws, uh, technical regulations have to, like if anything that has a substantial effect on the design of the car has to be done and dusted uh, basically a year and a half before those regulations would take effect. Right. So for 2021 car designs, uh, those regulations will take effect uh, January 1st, 2021, which means that those regulations have to be like locked in by July 1st, 2019. Uh, right. So we are already, and apparently, like nothing is settled. Uh, there was a, there's a minor story this week that a meeting was canceled uh, between uh, the F1 uh, between the F1 Commission uh, about some of this stuff, and a meeting was sort of canceled last minute. Uh, there, the 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 rumors are that there, there, all these agreements are kind of nowhere. Uh, so okay. this is all going to have to get done probably pretty fast, and it's going to be pretty fraught, uh, and. Ferrari historically has played a very special role in F1 negotiations, I guess <laughs> the way I would put it. Uh, they effectively, they've had a veto power effectively yeah. uh, for ages. I think they do have a veto power uh, over, uh, they, they, there's a lot of special carve-outs for Ferrari in F1, uh, so they're a very important stakeholder. But now you have a major F1 stakeholder that, We'll see if this is if this is as clean a transition as uh, Ferrari are portraying it as. It might not be a big deal, uh, right. but my goodness, imagine if it's just absolute chaos within Ferrari, and then on top of that, they have to basically chart a new course for the whatever whatever deal is going to govern F one in the next next era. Right. I did read that all the technical stuff is still going through Mattia, as you'd sort of expect. So at least it looks like he's got his hand on sort of everything that's going on, maybe. So maybe less, there's less sort of infighting as well. I'm not sure if that was played into it at all. <laughs> well, did did anyone read the uh, the thing from Motorsport about Arriva Bene? Uh, I read uh, Motorsport Magazine. Yeah, Motorsport Online. Yeah, Motorsport Magazine yeah. Online. Yeah. Uh, there was this piece from Mark Hughes that and this is... This thing was just a freaking dagger uh, in the back of this, this guy as he's left. Uh, if you want to see like a reporter who really hates a River Bene, uh, look right. up Mark Hughes' article. Uh, basically, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. Yeah, basically his argument is a River Bene was a, basically a stalking horse at best for Marcione. Uh, he was. Uh, he, he was a Potemkin uh, team leader, and it was like anything good that was happening was being handled by Marchione behind the behind the uh, behind the scenes. He didn't know the sport. He didn't know the engineering. Uh, he, according to Hughes, that he had a reputation as being kind of an uncommunicative bully. Uh, there, there's a passage in the Hughes piece where he says he was an autocrat to those below him, but without the inspirational qualities to compensate. He was a hmm. yes, sir. Three bags full, sir guy to those above him uh and so and th- and then he says riverbending was in the wrong job something that sergio marchione had come to realize after having plucked him from philip morris uh mm. again that pe- that piece was so venomous that it almost feels like hughes also has his inside sources that he's he's serving uh with, with ferrari politics but uh that was certainly that's certainly one view uh, of his tenure at Ferrari, and basically that Binotto had kind of made Ferrari's technical side more independent of Rivabene, which is why the car got better. And then what's happening when that car gets to the track, 
still mistakes are being made. Riva Bene is bad at running race strategy. He's bad at leading a team. He had a bad relationship with Vettel, supposedly. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of people happy to see uh, a Riva Bene go. At the same time, I don't know. It's tough. Like, under his tenure, Ferrari went from being completely lost at sea under the Menta uh, Zemolo years to being a good team again. Um, So I don't know. Like, does he deserve any credit for that? It's so hard to say because all we get are these sort of fleeting glimpses of what happens at Ferrari. Yeah, and I hope at least this is a start of. Uh, a, a kinder, gentler Ferrari. Um, although it, it sounds like it would kind of have to be by definition, because uh, you know, according to a number of articles that I've read, while Arriva Bene was sort of acting on orders from uh, you know higher above him, it sounds like he didn't necessarily need to be as uh, cold with the press and as strict with his team. So hopefully Benotto will have seen where he went wrong and uh, can can make changes to make them better, I guess. It's it's so weird how, you know, there's this like the the, nar- the story of all these things in the background is always comes like years afterwards. So while we're actually living it, we're like kind of relatively clueless, except for like, you know, sort of nods and winks that folks in the press kind of tell you. And, you know, the minute he's gone, we sort of get this like flood of new information on how how it all went down. It's 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 also interesting as like the media thing, like in a way is kind of irrelevant. Like Like, I'm sure it speaks to his maybe attitude or way of communicating or a way of um, managing in a way, you know, gives you some sort of insight into it. But there are plenty of people who have been successful, you know, uh, engineers, uh, team principals, you know, drivers who are total pricks. Like (laughs) F1 is not, uh, you know, short of people like that. So, you know, I'm sure if Ferrari had somebody who was, as sort of salty to the press, but managed to get the job done, they'd they'd be perfectly um, happy with it. I mean, one of their drivers is kind of for half of last season was effectively that, yeah, or both of them maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, and that's that is the that is the bias that I'm actually a little skeptical of in a lot of the coverage of this is if you have a bad relationship with the press, like the press is going, it is reporters are going to draw conclusions about how you must be with other people based on their interactions with people. And mm. if there are other Ferrari sources telling a story where Rivabene is the devil and he's incompetent and you're an asshole to the press, uh, there's probably going to be a lot of reporters who are like, yeah, basically confirms uh, my gut level read. And that is the only inside story I'm getting. Uh, so I have no reason to disbelieve it. And so right. that whatever like in the the picture that emerges then of a Rivabene is that uh he's kind of in inept jerk um and it's entirely possible that one reason that Bonotto has such a good reputation is he's been cultivating those reputa- those uh relationships for a while it's mm-hmm. you know this is this is such a thing where we're we're kind of working by inference uh but i think mm-hmm. one thing that is undeniable is that Ferrari became a much more successful technical program over the last few years. And Bonato was a was appointed a technical director in 2016. And under his leadership, the car got good again. Uh, and yeah. there were some missteps, but we don't have to think very far back about how bad that car was, uh, you know, in the, in the earlier part of this decade. And 
apparently the the real issue was that Donato had distinguished himself so much with the technical stuff that you know we we don't have one like every team needs a good a good technical director they need a good engineer uh if his deal was i'm either going to run this team or i'm going to go run someone else's uh that's a really tough bind like Man, a river would would have had to be worth his weight in gold at that point to survive that kind of uh, put up or shut up offer. Right. Yeah. Um, I think also is Vettel's contract. I'm just looking it up now. It's uh, so I think it runs up until 2020. So I think maybe the end of this season is when he'd have to renegotiate. I you know mm. I'm not sure if the salty relationship they had or even just like the lack of progress perhaps um would have played into that as well because like his tenure at ferrari is getting pretty long now you know what i mean like he's going to be there as long as he was a red bull and a lot less a lot less success so um i don't know if that also played a factor an interesting detail in the bbc coverage of this uh that became like lead sourcing for a lot of people's coverage off this like andrew benson appears to be uh kind of one of the major reporting authorities just on ferrari right now but Apparently, Arrivabene commissioned an internal review of what went wrong in 2018 for Ferrari. And the report that was produced was basically exculpatory of Vettel. Basically, the verdict of that report was, you know, the car wasn't that good. Uh, It was, it looked, it, Vettel was pushing that car harder than really it could safely be pushed because he felt, you know, it gave up so much in performance. He had to be a hero, and that explains for why Vettel made all those mistakes. And right. I don't know. It's, through that lens, is that report a way to try to dump some of the blame back on Bonato for not putting together as good a car as it looked like? Uh, was it also an attempt to sort of solve Vettel's ego? Because, like... Dude, the car didn't drive itself into a wallet at at Germany. Like, <laughs> like I don't care how unless you're in a Williams, a Williams is absolutely yes would probably throw itself <laughs> off a track into the nearest wall. Uh, but man, like I don't know that Vettel was pushing too hard under yellow to throw away a race win. Uh, but that that was an interesting detail. I I, I thought that that Arrivabene kind of had this report in the works that seems like it went a long way around to basically try to give Seb a vote of confidence uh, after a pretty bruising year, which who knows what that means. Was it a shot at Bonato or was it an attempt to mend fences with uh, Seb? I th- yeah. Well, that, like, yeah, I can, I can see perhaps, but like, yeah, it seems like a, I, I hate that sort of like that, the, the retroactive nature of that considering like that was kind of a bananas year. Um, and ever since as well, I guess he's been pretty consistently had points between him and, and Kimmy and, you know, has, yeah. has done as well as you could do. He's not going to be, yeah. he, you know, has come second and beaten the other uh, uh, Mercedes. So, like, yeah. uh, and his teammates. So, yeah, he can't really, you know, even with the mistakes he made last year, he's, uh, he's, he's done well by that car, I feel like. Well, speaking of serving with distinction... Uh, Rob, I think you have another <laughs> another news article here about uh, one Max Verstappen. Yeah, so when we last uh, <laughs> left Max, uh, he had just gotten in a pit lane row with uh, Esteban Ocon for that contact they had uh, where Ocon basically smacked into uh, uh, Verstappen at, was it the USGP? I can't remember which one it was. 
We'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, like I can see, I can see the corner where it happened, but I can't, uh, I, I can't quite remember which race it was. But um, so a cone had cost uh, Verstappen a, a race. Uh, Verstappen was furious. He found him at the at the weigh in after the race and like tried to start a fight with him and shoved him a couple times like pretty hard. Uh, and Verstappen was punished with the promise that he would have to do community service for F one at some point mm. somehow. Well, now we know what that community service was. It was to go work with the Formula E stewards uh, this past weekend at the race in Marrakesh. Uh, and it was to learn a valuable lesson about the jobs facing stewards, which serves another end, uh, which is Verstappen's one of those penalized drivers. And so maybe if he understands what it is to steward a race and to sort of have their eye on things, maybe he could learn a little bit uh, about why their jobs are hard and why he should perhaps complain less about uh, all the penalties he racks up. So he did this public service, but the problem is that it was not real popular with the Formula (laughs) E drivers who felt the entire thing was condescending as hell. And guys, I kind of see their point. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit uh it's a bit much. Uh it's like the whole, you know, baseball player gets done doping, has to go hang out with the little league uh crew on the weekend. Uh, but I also kind of see it from the F1 like Stewart's perspective or from from FIA's I guess is in that like where else were they going to send him for this? It's the off season. Like they can't make him steward on a on a race weekend in fucking in Melbourne in a couple of months' time, um, I guess you could maybe do it during preseason testing, but that's probably not fair either. Is there another like I, like f- like one of the lower divisions and uh, like they could do as well, like Formula Two or something? Maybe I don't know. Stadium like- super trucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get them to like do a course, or I don't know. Were they were they trotting him out for promotional stuff as well? They def- I don't wonder? think so. I didn't. I watched that race. Oh, really? I didn't okay. see his face once. Yeah, I've not caught up on it yet. Uh, speaking of other racing series, this I think is a good opportunity to jump into things that are happening around the world oh my of God. racing. Yes. Things that are happening in races around the world. Uh, Dakar just concluded, (gasps) which is a multi-day rally that used to be in Africa, but this year it's in Peru. Yeah, Uh, they they stopped doing that when people's cars kept getting stolen for like (laughs) three or four years in a row. People were like held up at gunpoint and everything. It was bananas. Yeah, Uh, but they have stage summaries on their YouTube channel if you'd like to check that out. Uh, also, the Race of Champions is occurring uh, January 19th through the 20th, which is, if you're unfamiliar, they basically get uh, uh, championship drivers from a bunch of different racing series together to compete in a bunch of different... It's kind of like an Olympic event where they drive a bunch of different kinds of cars, and you know the, the idea is just to, uh, to see who is the best driver. It's, it's, I think it's more for fun than anything. It's kind of like an all-star event. Do you want the list of drivers? I got it right here. Uh, I, I picked out some ones that I think Ooh. people on the podcast would know. Okay. Uh, but go ahead. Uh, I mean, F1 drivers got Sebastian Vettel. Maybe you've heard of him. Mm-hmm. We have Mick Schumacher, who is Michael's son, who will be driving as well. Um, David Coulthard will be there. Uh, Lucas Degrassi. Uh, Helios Castroneves, um, if you're part of the wider uh, motorsport world. Uh, Pierre Gasly from F1. Uh, Loic Duval, who... Did Loic Duval ever do F1? I know he did Formula E. 
I don't I'm know. Not, I'm not sure if he ever did F1. Um, Esteban Gutierrez will be there. Ah, yes. Uh, let me Former see. Former Haas driver. Uh, Travis Pastrana will be there. Will he? Yeah, that's pretty rad. Um, uh, Juan Pablo Montoya is uh, getting dusting off retirement. Isn't he retired at this stage? I feel like. I guess they are, like, so is David Coulthard, so I don't know why I sure. mentioned that. Uh, Kurt Busch will be there. Lando Norris, Sebastian Loeb. Um, uh, uh, Jensen Button's jumping in. Our good friend Fernando Alonso. Felipe Massa, his old friend. Um, wait, no, is that is that? Well, they just listed Michael Schumacher on this list, and I'm not sure if I'm actually naming people from this year or not. Um, <laughs> I think just pre- that, just, yeah, I looked at the website. It's kind of tough to tell who is uh, who's racing this year and who has raced in the past. Okay, I think uh, I was I right think, up until let's say Juan right Pablo Montoya. Montoya. Yeah, I think I was right yeah. up until Montoya. A <laughs> couple IndyCar guys, Ryan Hunter Ray and Joseph Newgarden, will be there. Um, yeah, I, I think it's. I think it'll be on CBS for the U.S. It's again difficult to tell from that website, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's America's it's most popular network. Thing. That's right. You should sign up to All Access and watch that, and then see the new none, none season of, of work St- Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> that company anymore? I know. I know. It's just it's a, it's a it's an old muscle. It's can't stop myself. Uh, also, the Rolex Twenty Four featuring Fernando Alonso starts uh, Saturday, January twenty sixth. Uh, that is a uh, an endurance race, um, which uh, you know has prototype cars similar to Le Mans, uh, Le Mans, and that is I think broadcast on NBC Sports Network in the United States uh, and on IMSA.tv for the world. Mm. Um, and we've got some upcoming dates for Formula One car launches. They've announced their announcements. Some of the teams have. Uh, the earliest one is February 12th, and that's Renault. They will be debuting their car there. Uh, the following day, February 13th, is Racing Point, which is debuting their car and maybe a name change. Mm. Racing Point, I think, was a placeholder, so uh, look out for that. Uh, February 14th, Valentine's Day. Who else but McLaren? Uh, and then February 15th is when we'll see the new Ferrari car. So cool. the other teams have not announced their announcements. Um, uh, and then, sorry, Danny, go ahead. I know I, was, I wasn't sure if you're going to mention the Formula E. I'm not. It's not this week, but the Santiago one is on the following week. Oh, um, nice. Okay. And if you haven't caught up on the Marrakesh one, that's a kind of a good little double header of uh, January uh, races. Marrakesh was good. I haven't watched it. Yet. It was good, was it? If you like drama and egregious <laughs> uh, screw ups, then hell yes. That's Sweet. why I watch Formula E. Egregious the, scruffs. The first race was really that, good too. That is, that, I know that one is at least up on their YouTube channel. The last turn was a real egregious screw up. <laughs> uh, yeah, Formula E is good. Um, and then February 18th is when preseason testing starts. So there's ah. two test sessions, 18th through the 21st, then February 26th to March 1st. Uh, both in uh, uh, Spain at the Circuit de Barcelona, Catalonia. Catalonia. Which I guess is a... They do it there because it's, um, according to this uh, article from Sky Sports, it is that track is often recognized uh, as, an, uh, as offering an all-round test of a car and its aerodynamic prowess with a mixture of left and right-handed corners mm. alongside a range of slow and high-speed corners and a long start-finish straight. So, yeah, that makes sense, especially with that arena section that kind of mixes up the corners a little bit. Um 
And also, I bet, like, weather-wise, it's pretty consistent. Like, they do the south of France and the north of Spain. So, it's kind of, you know, yeah. in, in spring. So, you're probably not going to get too much rain and, you know, it won't be too hot either. Although, I think it snowed last year. Oh, my God. That's global warming, man. Yeah. It's all happening. Uh, I th- I think if you're in the UK and you pay for Sky, you might be able to watch some of the testing. But otherwise, I don't. I think we'll just be looking for articles. Maybe F1 YouTube channel will have some stuff. Hmm. Um, but I actually went back and looked at the 2018 preseason testing to like get a sense yeah. of what we could uh, glean from testing. And we learned, apparently, from reading a, a BBC article, which was really good, um, that you get sort of a broad sense of where teams are with their development who has improved and who's struggling. So we learned that Mercedes was reliable. Mm. Uh, Toro Rosso's Honda engine seemed okay. (laughs) It was not, you know, McLaren style breaking down all the time. Uh, McLaren broke down all the time. Um, Red Bull broke down once. The only other team to break down uh, during testing. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. (laughs) Probably, if I had to guess, Danny Rick. Uh, And uh, Haas looked much stronger than they did. So I think all those things bore out. Uh, okay. But lap times aren't necessarily indicative. Haas had had a poor season the year before as well. I think everyone was kind of yeah. hoping for that little bit of a kind of a knock back to form. Yeah, and uh, according to this article, only twenty percent of overall fastest laps from a four-day test at Barcelona since two thousand eight have been set by the eventual title winners. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> the fastest lap uh, per team. Williams is last, but Mercedes was seventh. And McLaren was second. Well, so, that's, you know, speed gets you so far, but reliability is what won Mercedes uh, some championships too. So, you know, yeah. I guess it depends what they're testing for as well. Yeah, but seventh, that is just some definite sandbagging though. Come on. Yeah, like, absolutely. That's not, that's not we're testing for reliability. That's, you know what? We're not giving you a bar. Just good luck. Yeah. You, guys, you guys guesstimate what, what it'll take to win. We'll find out you in go, two weeks. Yeah. You go first. You go first. We'll, we'll go next. You go first. Uh, and the last bit of news here I had is uh, that W Series, uh, the mm. women-only racing series, is beginning its selection process uh, in, quote, late January uh, to whittle down 60 drivers to just 18 because the series starts in May. I don't think they're going to wow. have that process open to journalists in any way, um, which I guess the... <laughs> the mark whatever marketing bone i have is like well show that make that a reality show right uh, but it's I, probably best that they don't yeah i think considering the sort of the the, the 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 eyes that are on this for all the wrong reasons i think maybe that would yeah it's probably best if they it, it's interesting how late that's occurring i feel if they're trying to get the season started by before the summertime or start of the summertime um Maybe that just tells you how little or how open a lot of female drivers' calendars are that they can wrangle something together that quickly. I don't know. Um, I'm looking forward to it, though. Do we have any more details on, like, I was of the opinion that they were still trying to guarantee a lot of funding and stuff. Like, I wonder if if it's still going that slow or do they know where they're racing yet or how many races they're going to do? I think they are uh, hopping on the back of DTM. Okay. Um, like a sport race style? Yeah, exactly. Cool. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I haven't heard much more about funding, so I, maybe they're there. Um, there's not a lot of details, but uh, they do have a short article 
about the selection process. It's uh, ex-Formula One driver and double Lama winner Alex Worse um, is sort of heading it up because he, I guess, owns a company that does this. Like he right. evaluates drivers. Uh, so he'll be one of the judges along with David Coulthard, who's one of the directors of W Series, and Lynn St. James, who is oh, a, wow. quote, successful retired hmm. female racing driver from the States who started seven Indy 500s in the 90s. Oh, wow. Yep. I remember her well. Interesting. Uh, it'll be a comprehensive program involving all aspects of a racing driver's skill set, not only the driving itself, but the uh, physical fitness, mental aptitude, psychological and psychometric testing, communications slash media slash PR skills, and so on. Twitter followers, what's your clout score? <laughs> yeah. uh, do you want to know the nine races for next year's DTM or this year's DTM? Sure. Uh, Hockenheim, uh, obviously most of these are in Germany. Uh, Zolder in Belgium. Um, uh, Misano or World Circuit Marco Simoncelli which of course we know from MotoGP in Italy uh, Norris Ring in Germany which I don't know uh, Assen in the Netherlands Brands Hatch in the UK uh, Euro Speedway Lausitz in Germany Nürburgring and the Hockenheim Ring so good, okay. good circuits yeah. and that's all I got that's all that's going on in the off season anything else fellas I like racing and I miss it and I want it to come back please Drew make it come back yes uh Here's a provocative thought to end on. Oh, here we go. Jesus. All right. <laughs> Lucas DeGrassi, uh, the uh, Formula E driver, uh, nice. just made the, made the argument that long-term combustion engine racing is doomed. Uh, mm. He said, some countries will not accept promotion of combustion racing anymore. It'll be the same as promoting tobacco today. Uh, his argument being that in the next several years, uh, as more and more clean energy rules are basically necessitated by the deepening uh the the rapidly deepening climate crisis uh we are going to see countries begin to adopt really restrictive stances with regard to uh com- running combustion engines for like entertainment events and promoting combustion mm-hmm. engine racing uh and so he argues that that is something that formula one is going to have to wrestle with sooner rather than later uh, because that is where the future is headed. And uh, I'm curious what y'all make of that, because I think that is, I think he's right long-term. I'm just not sure how soon he's going to be right. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I feel like when the, the hammer comes down, when we really start to, I mean, hopefully, when we really start to make the difficult decisions about uh, fossil fuels and the way we're using them the first thing will go will be like a discretionary things like entertainment you know it'll be the thing that sort of rallies you know it's one of the more visible things yeah. and one that affects the sort of least amount of players um you know as a as a winner of the formula e championship i can see why lucas degrassi would be talking about that <laughs> um he's kind of got skin in the game on the other end but i don't know like i, I would i would love to see that ha- you know i'm a huge f1 fan but i would love to see that type of stuff happen sooner rather than later but i wouldn't be surprised if 30 years from now we're still in a situation where countries don't aren't taking it seriously i don't know it, I, I can see certain countries definitely adopting it before other ones. I would say the European countries were probably the ones to do it first, which would be uh, like a shame in one way because it's where all the historical tracks and the history of F1 and such deep roots in, um, but also, you know, necessary. That's, you know, the future is going to necessitate that we make decisions that aren't fun, but they're necessary. Yep. 
Yeah, I think it'll either uh, they'll mer- Formula E and Formula One will merge somehow and be compliant with all of that stuff, or you will have a divergence where F one uh, F one's identity becomes speed at any cost. So like the cars would be like, I imagine them being like plutonium powered or something, you know, just like forget anything about the environment. We're going to go as fast as we possibly can. Formula E is for your sustainable racing. F1, if F1's tagline became speed at any cost, that is, that I would wear that on a shirt. Like, I would that play is, that video game for sure. Totally. That, that is the mutant yeah, league yeah. racing that uh, I am, I am waiting for. <laughs> wipe out 2097 yeah speed at any cost yeah i you know yeah it's 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 that it's that what would you want it, that's a really like annoying question rob because it's kind of like it's a great question which is you know why it's an annoying question uh is because it's like it my heart says one thing and my brain says another and that's ultimately sort of what a lot of uh the, you know the decisions we'll have to make as society in many ways kind of you know requires us to do things that don't sound fun but are better for everyone well on that note uh you can hit us up on twitter follow at shift f1 podcast for show updates and any fun f1 stuff we run across i am at drew scanlon danny is at danny o'dwyer rob zachney is at rob zachney uh we do have one uh, quick email here from philip who says uh while he said 1800 points on the radio in the last race Alonso's career total in F1 were exactly 1899. His engineer said, like, come on, get a point. And he's like, whatever, I have 1800 points. So for Ooh. that one single point in Abu Dhabi, <sighs> he was dismissive about, might have been worth a bit uh, more. He thinks he's coming back to get it, though. He thinks he thinks he's yeah. going to get that point down yeah. the road in a better car. I'm not sure he's right, but definitely that's his calculation. He's not aiming for 1,900. He's aiming for 1,924. He wants a win. <laughs> he wants <laughs> all the go. points. Uh, as always, you can find our show notes at f1.cool. Uh, until next time, uh, I'm Drew Scanlon. That's Danny O'Dwyer and Rob Zachney. You can find Rob at his day job at waypoint.vice.com. Anything else, fellas? No, let's just keep getting... Just stick on the feed. We're coming back, motherfuckers, with some racing. <laughs> That's the new slogan. Don't no take out yum. your teammate. have a good race weekend everyone we will see you all next time yum oh that's the future can we do it can we we do it at the same time you do an E and I'll do an an F1 okay here we go three Three, two two, one yum yum